Hi, I'm Laura Allen. And I'm Liv Austin. And between us, we are a songwriter, actor, singer, producer, and the hosts of My Amazing Mess, a podcast where we talk to creatives who are right in the middle of developing their own unique careers. They are totally honest with us about what it takes to pursue their dream job, the exciting highs, the disheartening lows, and and the the amazing mess that is everything in between. Hi everyone, it's Liv here, currently self-isolating, and I hope you guys are too. I hope you are all well, feeling well, and that your loved ones are doing well. It's a very strange time, and as you can imagine, our schedule for My Amazing Mess and interviews and stuff like that have had to be pushed back quite a lot. So at the moment, we are not doing any interviews because it's important to us that whoever we're talking to is in the same room as us. And obviously, Laura and I can't be in the same room either for the messy musings. The good news is that we did quite a few of these interviews about a month back, so we can still give you a few of them. And uh, this week, we are talking to Tom Rainsford, who is a director, a creative director, and one of the founders of the mobile network GifGaf. I met Tom when he directed me in one of the most fun jobs I've ever had, a Halloween advert for GifGaf. And I asked if he wanted to come down and talk about what he does. And it's a really different, really interesting conversation. He's such a funny guy, super creative, has great and really interesting points. He talks about what it was like to work as the co-founder and creative director of GifGaf for 10 years. He is now the marketing director for Beavertown Brewery. And he also recently directed the legendary David Bradley in the music video for Jack Savaretti and Mika's song Youth and Love. If you need a bit of a laugh today and also want to learn a thing or two, this will be the perfect one for you. So I hope you enjoy Tom Rainsford. We are here with Tom Rainsford, who is many things. You're a creative director, brand director, you're a video director, which is maybe what more people are like, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> and uh, many more things that we're going to figure out in the next hour, hopefully. So thank you for being here, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks. So just a little background of how the hell I know you <laughs> is we worked together in what I think was 2016. So it's a while ago now on my infamous GifGaf ad, which is still, when people ask me, uh, what was the most fun you've had on set? I just go straight to GifGaf because it was so much fun. We did a three-day shoot, a two-minute long advert, Halloween-themed, and uh, yeah, that's that's where we met because you directed me in that. That's right. That's right. It seems like ages ago. I can't believe it's 2016. But, um... Yeah. Time flies, but we get we get to um, the point where Liv outruns the zombies later. That's that, so. that's the main bit that I've always heard about. Is they it, said run and she said okay. I mean, like, it totally screwed oh. up the shop. It was it was, it was an impressive turn of pace. Put it that way. Have you put on your CV, Liv? Very fast runner. Very fast. <laughs> outruns zombies. <laughs> oh man, it was so much fun. It was the best like three days I've ever had on a shoot. Um, but yes, we will get to that because I. I have to admit that I didn't know this when I worked with you, but I know it now that I asked you to come in here to talk to us, that you are one of the founders of GifGaf. That is correct, yeah. If I rewind a little bit, by the time I was about like 21, 22, I'd had three failed careers, <laughs> So, uh, which were um, I played football when I was a kid and I was pretty good at that and that went quite well. 
trials for a big team. Didn't quite work out. Did a degree in contemporary dance. Did some stuff in some big theatres. That didn't quite work out. Then played in bands forever. And obviously, we're, I'm sure we're coming to talk about music at some point, but that didn't quite work out. So um, I basically was trying to figure out what to do and ended up working in marketing and brand and advertising, that kind of stuff. Um, hated it absolutely despised every single moment of it and then um kind of went from there to do the same thing but for a different company which at the time was t-mobile before they became ee and then um someone rang me up one day and was like oh there's this new business which is starting it's going to be completely different it's about david versus goliath and being disruptive but i can't tell you anything more than that do you want to come down and have a chat and i was like well i might as well because you know you never know and they sort of pitched it and the whole idea was to start this new business which was gonna change the way mobile works and da 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 and i thought yeah i'll give it six months and then you know i'll keep my linkedin up to date and then i'll go and do something else so um in 2009 i started working with a sort of handful of people and yeah we launched gifgaf in november 2009 and then i looked after everything to do with the brand and marketing and advertising all that creative and all that kind of good stuff with a team of wonderful people and we built a business over 10 years and yeah it is what it is today and I left in September 2019 so last year after 10 years I thought had done it um, and kind of felt it was time to move on so moved on and then to being like moved on to be the marketing director of beaver town it's obviously the brewery that makes you know nickel and gamma rain all those wonderful beers that people love um but along that journey i've done lots of other things additionally just because why would you not yeah so you're f- you know one of the founders of gift gaff and then you're also you know the creative director you're doing all of their marketing basically when i auditioned to do the gift gaff halloween ad i realized that the halloween ad was like a thing for you guys so was that your idea to do these like proper short film sort of ads? Yeah. So um, the thing is, and I try not to go too much into like marketing and brand theory because it'll be really boring. But most brands are not very interesting and therefore they make advertising to try and pretend that they are interesting. So you then go into a shop or go online or do whatever and buy their product. And actually I'd argue that over the last five to 10 years, adverts have become significantly less creative than they have been. And I think there's lots of economic reasons for that. And I think there's lots of business reasons for that. But I always wanted to do something that was interesting and would engage people. And I was walking down the street in the summer one day and I was like, wouldn't it be amazing if you could bottle up that feeling of London in the summer, right? What I mean by that is like, there's a bit of a, it sounds weird, right? But there's a bit of a smell to it, right? It's like the kind of, you get the same in like New York or Bangkok or whatever. It's just sort of like a hot city. You've got the sun coming down, you know, you've got some good tunes on your headphones or whatever. And you've just got that kind of like feeling. And I thought, you know, how can we bottle up that feeling? But lots of brands play in the summer. John Lewis play in the winter and, you know, dominate and own Christmas. And I was like, what does no one own? And at the time, and this would have been like, ooh, I don't know, 2013 maybe, no brands went near Halloween at all. It was seen as an American thing. It was seen as being, you know, you'd run into problems with like the, you know, the ASA, the Advertising Standards Authority. You'd get stuff banned. And what if people got upset about it? Da, 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 da. But my point was, first of all, it's only an American import, depending on how old you are. If you're old enough, actually, you grew up with it. 
horror movies are the most made genre of movies in the world. There's some amazing studies around um, zombie movies are popular when it's an economic downturn and uh, vampire movies are popular when it's an economic upturn because it's all about self. So there's all these sort of stuff like Harvard did some stuff. So basically I was like, the long and short of it was I want to own something. So that's where Halloween came about. So we did our first ad, which was called Different Takes Gut, so it's got banned in like five days or something, which was 100 people in the swimming pool throwing blood and guts at each other. And then we did lots of others, working with loads of great directors. And then basically I was like, right, I feel confident enough and I know enough about the genre and I'm passionate enough about it to like create it. So I'll be the client and the agency and a director at the same time, which is a weird pyramid to kind of work in. And that's obviously how we met through um, coming up with a kind of creative idea. And I think it's it's a very interesting position to be in. Now, you could argue, well, you're just marking your own homework. And therefore, well, you come up with a great idea. And of course, you think it's a great idea because you came up with it. But actually, I'd argue if you've got any level of responsibility, that actually all you're doing is you're taking more and more and more responsibility on, of which I think there are some outputs of stress along the way. But you're taking that responsibility for the creative output that you then own. Normally, the system works like this. I'm a brand. I do a brief. That brief goes to an ad agency. They take it to a director. The director comes up with an idea, comes back to the ad agency. The ad agency kind of white label it a little bit and pretend it's theirs and sell it back to the client. You go off and make it and then... If it's a success, then that's great. And the ad agency gets a pat on the back by the client. If it isn't a success, then boohoo, you know, maybe you have some arguments and then you crack on and do something else, right? It's just all, it just doesn't work for me, right? Because as somebody who started the brand, as the brand owner, I should know more about the brand than anyone else. So why am I outsourcing the creativity to someone else? Now that may work for lots of brands and that's cool. And I certainly don't have a problem with brands and I, you know, have lots of love and friends and admiration for what ad agencies do but in that instance it just didn't work for us so that's why we kind of started to do it all in-house but it is pretty mental and it is you know I I think it was that idea I was on holiday in New Orleans and um, obviously New Orleans is like ridiculously gothic anyway and we're interview of a vampire is set and we went on ghost tours and they've got the amazing queen of voodoo's grave there and, da, da, da. and I was sitting on a balcony overlooking the Mississippi this is like such a good story right and um, I just came up with this idea where I wanted to take lots of different genres and just play with them in lots of different ways so the, you know we had zombies in it we had ghosts in it we had all types of stuff it's playful it's fun you know it's a little bit scary but it's not like we're not talking about like the ring or sword you know what i mean like it's like it's like pg at best so so yeah so it was all about dominating that and you know we've gone on and you know since i left they did something last year which is cool and you know so yeah it's about creating something ownable that you can become famous for as a brand <laughs> that like i should have just started by saying that sentence instead of finishing <laughs> by saying it but that's the point no i love that and there's so much i want to pick up on what I'm you just tell me said about it. <laughs> but um I just have to, while I remember it with, with my experience with it, because I was like, I got super excited because obviously I love doing adverts and it's, it's mainly what I've done as an actor because the music is kind of the main thing for me and stuff. And I love doing them. They're good fun. But it's usually like you say, you know, it's like it's a one day shoot. They've got the ad agency. They've got the client. Everyone wants to have a say. So you do A, B, C, D and then you're done. But this was so different. And I was like, I might, I might get this like two minute long thing and it's going to be in cinemas and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's got a story too. And they said, I think it was a casting uh, office that said that, oh, yeah, last year's one, 
got quite a lot of complaints because people found it really scary. And I was right. like, um, it might have been the yeah, previous yeah. year or maybe no, earlier. No, we always, got, we always got complaints. You always got <laughs> always, complaints. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. But this one, you know, when I got it, I was like, this one's pretty funny. To mm. me, I thought it was quite funny. So I was like, this one is not going to get any complaints. But so many people said to me, like, like so scary. Really, really scary. I was like, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I'm I do not watch horror films because right. I'm one of those like I get so scared I'll just grab onto the person next to me and like dig my nails into them and be like oh, stop this. But I was like I know I acted in it, but to me I'm like it's funny, right? Like it's because it it changes pace all the time. Yeah. And but I did go because I think it was you. You were so sweet and um, sent me the list of all the cinemas that it was going to be played in because you knew that. And so I actually went to the cinema to see it on the big screen. And it was the last thing to play before the film. So all the ads, then the trailers, and then this yeah. gaff ad. So people thought it was a trailer. Yeah, and yeah. you could see people like jumping and like they laughed at the end because they were like, oh my God, it's an ad. I didn't really, like I heard people saying it. And so sometimes you don't even realize like how people are just used to seeing ads that are done in a certain way. And if it's anything other than that, it really takes them by yeah. surprise. Which well, it's, con it's contextual. And that's what I think is quite interesting because I went to the cinema and sat at the back deliberately just to see how people reacted to it. And it was amazing. And yeah, people jumped at the right point, which is nuts <laughs> when you write a jump scare. You don't think that you kind of hope that people are going to jump at the right point. But it's contextual. Because if you look upon it like as a YouTube pre-roll, right? I use Grammarly, but if I see another Grammarly pre-roll on YouTube, I'm going to go insane. Please stop them, right? And you see it in that context, you're used to seeing like that nonsense or like a meerkat wandering around. And then you see something which is uh, arguably more um, upfront or more creatively in depth. And people were just like, well, I won't accept it in this context. This isn't a context of which I'm willing to see it. Whereas the cinema... You're there to see a horror movie, so they're probably softer to the concept of horror anyway. But it fits in more, it weaves more. And that, to me, is, you know, brands need to be emotional. When you're not emotional and you're just functional, who cares, right? Like, oh, right, I need car insurance. I'll just go to one of those websites that's top of mind. That's why they advertise to keep top of mind, right? I don't have a relationship with that, right? And arguably they don't want a relationship with me. But good brands are emotional. Good brands have an emotional relationship with people. You know, Nike don't make the best running shoes right there are better running shoes but people will pay more because they have an emotional affinity with that brand and that's really what halloween was all about it's really really interesting looking at it from the actor's point of view because i mean Liv and i when we were training i'm sure we had countless classes where we were forced to to pretend that we were in a casting for an advert just to show you what it's like when you go in and the clients are there not to look at you as the actor in your performance but they want to see if they're their brand is going to be sold in the right way on on screen what is it like for you to kind of be part of all of that creative process was it what and live what was the experience in the casting room i think what what i've always tried to do is even in casting maybe live or disagree if she agrees with this great if she disagrees <laughs> then it's going to be really awkward so i'm going to say this and then let's see so I've always wanted to treat people like people, regardless of what I'm doing. So even if it's a casting where you're quote unquote judging people, I still think you need to treat them, right? So I, it's cool if you don't do this, but personally, if you walk in a room, I'm going to acknowledge the fact you've walked in the room. Because if we then cast, you know, if we cast you, we then need to work together and have a relationship. So if I've treated you, you know, with, with void dissidence to start with, then it's like, well, 
that's weird, right? If I walked in the room, I'd want someone to acknowledge that. So I've always tried to do that. Now, whether I've done that, well, I think I probably have, but I think it's important because I think good casting and good directing comes down to the relationships that you have with people. And therefore, if you're just one of 10 people and I'm just looking at the screen and you get shuffled in by the casting director and then shuffled out again, I don't know, like, it doesn't really work for me. Like, I want to have a better and deeper levels of relationship with the person that I'm then going to work for. But having said that, if you are just casting someone to stand in the background and that's it, then, but that, but that, that's my view on it, which is, you know, regardless of the role that they're going to play, there's some kind of relationship that you need to have there, which is you should at least acknowledge them as a human being. And like you say, your, your vision for it was more like a, a short film advert rather than a very linear adver- advertising use yeah the point of the product comes at the end and it fits with the whole ad but it's not being pushed on you until you've had the story and that you've experienced the story so you don't feel like you're being pushed it every 10 seconds of this ad it's just it's a story and then it's like why is that the story yeah i mean every marketing textbook in the world would tell you that that's a really stupid and dumb idea because people don't really stay to the end and you should tell people at the start and then tell them again and then tell them again which is why you see ads particularly for ice cream which is like pack shot pack shot something else pack shot something else pack shot but like come on let's try and add some layer of creativity to this you know we don't have to dumb it down and if we dumb it down so much then you get into that point that we were saying earlier which is like you see something out of context and suddenly you're deeply offended by it because it's out of context like we're smarter than that businesses and brands should treat people in that way so i also think it's really memorable the ones that that stick out for for great reasons that you weren't expecting that to be what it was that's what they are typically the adverts i remember when you come across those sorts of things yeah I think the thing, I, I do remember three things about that shoot though, which was one, um, so Liv runs up the stairwell, she's chased by about 30 zombies through this like car park in Kingston or somewhere. Yeah. And the idea was they were meant to get closer to her, right? And it's like a panning shot. Ben said she just outran them, <laughs> like really, so it was like, okay, cut, let's re- reset that. Remember that? I remember we shot in a graveyard in the middle of the night and it was like a six foot grave. And I was like, I'm totally going to get in this six foot grave because you won't remember the next time. Right. So I was like, let's see what a grave feels like. And then we have so much dry ice that the fire brigade turned up because they thought we were burning down the graveyard or or dare I even say the church. But the fire brigade turned up because they thought it was on fire. So they're, they're my overriding free memories. But it was pretty kick ass. Like... You know, it was pretty good fun to shoot. Yeah, that was like one of the last things that happened on the yeah. last day that the fire brigade showed up and we were like, oh, thank God we've got most of it because this this is a bit disruptive. Yeah, I do remember falling onto a mat in, oh, a, yeah. in, in that grave. I was like, because you said to me in such a gentle, lovely way, like, are you okay with face planting into this grave? And I was like... I've got this far. You've taken me this far. Let's just do. Let's do this. To be fair, though, what we did do is because like um, Gwilym, who's a producer, was like, um, so they've dug a six foot grave, right? Because you can literally hire a graveyard and they dig a grave. And he was like, we don't think she should fall six foot into a grave. So we're going to have to refill it. So then we had to get them back to like refill it by three, four meters or something. Yeah, I appreciate so when Liv that. Went in, yeah, but I at the time I was like. Oh, 
because I really like, why can't you just fall into the six foot ground? And he was like, mate, she's going to end up breaking her arm or something. And I was like, oh, well, all right, then fine. Help and then how so- do you explain that to the hospital? And um, I broke my arm by face planting into a grave. Well, she would have been taken there by a zombie. Oh, that there you been, go. That would have been very would have been, self-explanatory. Made, yeah, they would have been like, oh. Put her in a zombie wing. So what I'm really um, intrigued to find out about, as you said, you've, you've had a really creative background and upbringing. So football was the, was the main thing. Is that how it all started for you? Yeah, I mean, so the 1990 World Cup would have been when I was 10. And obviously England did all right. And Paul Gascoigne, I was a Spurs supporter and all the rest of it. So I started playing football and was like, basically, I'm very like all or nothing <laughs> about life which as I get older I am trying to moderate because it is quite stressful so you're like right I'm going to do football I don't really need to go to school and everything will be fine and then that didn't quite work out and I started playing in bands and I was like well that's fine because I'll just play in bands and you know forget school and doing homework and listening and you know doing anything other than like you know trying to play in like rock and roll bands so um and then obviously I did that for years and years and years from sort of like my early teens to sort of late 20s early 30s and you know we did some stuff which worked really well we played some great venues and also we played to like two people you could do one night where there'd be you know a couple of hundred people and the next night when it's like your girlfriend and your mate and it's just it's so hard and it doesn't matter whether or not you're playing a room to two people or 500 people or a thousand people or 50,000 people the effort is still the same the levels of rehearsals are the same you still want the performance to be the same and it's just hard and there's no money in it at all so I was like well I need to do something which kind of is gonna like pay the bills so I was like well what's vaguely creative I don't know if I chose the best route or not like and it's a source of constant self-analysis but it it was difficult you know I I finished university I'd done a degree in contemporary dance I did some like youth theatre stuff afterwards you don't make any money I was going to go and do a master's at Laban or at least I was thinking about it and I didn't do it. And if I had done it, would I be in a completely different place? Yes, I think I probably would have been. Would I be happier? I don't know. And I think that really, retrospectively, I think it comes down to actually what makes you happy. As twee as that and ridiculous as that sounds, I think if it feels right, then do it. And I think, you know, I had no interest in working in quote-unquote business and I didn't really have much interest in sitting in meetings and going to the same office and all that kind of nonsense. But I ended up in that world. But what I tried to do was do it in a way where it kind of worked for me. And I guess, you know, I got some good opportunities and I worked really hard and some of them paid off. You know, am I truly happy? Probably not. But, you know, I don't know. I can't I can't go back in time. I can go to Sadler's Wells in a couple of weeks and what's a really great peanut Bausch piece. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, I won't be in it. Did the, um, the dance career ever take off at all or did you kind of come out of it and move straight into working life in that advertising world? Well, it seems an appropriate time to drop in that the 97% I got for the final performance we did at university, which I believe is the highest percentage that they gave out at that time. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it, 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 as, much, as much as I kind of wanted it to, I guess I didn't pursue it in the same way. And I think part of that problem was I didn't start doing ballet when I was five, you know, and you're going up against people who have done ballet since they were five and it becomes really difficult and I think I probably maybe the only time in my life I've had any level of uh, lack of confidence of whether or not I should do that you know and I was kind of like still doing a band stuff and I was like well that's kind of you know I've kind of wanted to do that a bit longer so therefore I don't know like I think 
any creative outlet I think is a positive and I think it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not there's twists and turns in that I think it's very rare that someone started doing one thing and ended up doing it and being great at it being happy and you know whatever they see as whatever marks of success that they have I think you've got to kind of go with the ebb and flow but I do think that there's an emotional baggage and um reflection that goes with that because you end up in circumstance where you're like I don't know if I really want it to be here you know and I've done this for however many years and oh god what if I'd done this you know but I, I don't I don't know I think on a on a positive note I think we have to except that i'm reading a book at the moment actually and i should remember the author but i'm not good at that kind of thing which is called and then we grew up which is basically about someone who was a violinist and was really really good and thought she was going to play in you know the symphony orchestra of new york or whatever and basically ended up being a writer and she then reflected on how she ended up being a writer and whether or not it's right or wrong and met some other people that she played with in her early career and what happened to them and i think a lot of it comes down to the attitude that you have to accept the changes that happen and the setbacks and also the positives because we're so quick to focus on the negatives and what went wrong and why we don't really ever very much focus on the positives so i'll give you a great example you know when i in january 2019 someone turned around to me and said oh you know you you and other people you know have made gift gaff this amazing brand that people love and people genuinely love it you know measurements against you know other competitors it's like it smashes out of the ballpark you know you must be really proud and I remember just thinking no I remember thinking I haven't I haven't even thought about it like I've never reflected on anything that I've done I've always gone oh wicked okay we did that amazing Halloween thing or we did this brilliant campaign or we delivered X, Y and Z. Right, what's next? What's next? What's next? One, I think business is set up to continue to make you drive you forward, which I don't necessarily think is particularly a positive thing. But also you don't tend to naturally reflect on the positives. I could write a list of a hundred things that went wrong, right? I'd start with football, right? <laughs> but very rarely do we then write a list of a hundred or a hundred and one things that went right? And I think that's part of the problem. I think we have to accept that nothing is perfect and there will be ebbs and flows of our wonderful careers. It's a double-edged sword, that, for creatives, because it's the fact that we're always looking for the next thing that makes us creative very often and it makes us move forward and do the next thing. But surely, if you kind of stop to think about it, the point is to be happy. It might not be the only point, you know, you can't be happy all the time, but you're trying to find fulfillment and happiness but you forget as you start doing it because then you we've talked about this so much Laura and I you know that we have to kind of stop each other and be like no but look at what you've done this year you know and there's all this stuff that didn't happen but there's other stuff happened that you didn't even know at the beginning of the year was going to happen but we're so used to just driving stuff forward that we don't go oh yeah I did that that's cool just me reading like oh he's actually like one of the founders of this massive brand and massive company and you just kind of go oh yeah yeah I did that <laughs> yeah I did, it's, it's, it's really weird actually and it? it sort of spun me into a into a place of like re-evaluation I guess but you know th there are loads of things that I could tell you that were amazing about you know things that I've done and gift gaff and all sorts of things like that but ultimately unless they actually deliver value to whatever your personal value set is, then it's almost always a bit of an empty vessel. And what adds value to one person's value set may not 
be to another person so I guess it's like trying to find those things which truly deliver against the value that you want out of something and you can never be over reliant on one source to do that and I think you know I've spent a lot of time using setbacks or people that I thought you know didn't like me when they probably didn't care but I was like they don't like me um and trying to turn that into forward motion and energy to push things forward but ultimately you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons you're doing it to prove someone else wrong rather than satisfy yourself and that is a weird um feedback loop that eventually is gonna you know come and kick you in the balls so I definitely recognize that I spend a lot of time wanting to prove people wrong and then the truth is probably that they don't really care that much about what you're doing <laughs> yeah well i just i mean everyone you know is a pretty kind of self-focused you know yeah. um which i think possibly is part of the problem but it's a funny one but what i would say is you know where you do get opportunities you know um you know when i started directing commercials and kind of content and stuff it's because a guy called matt phone at riffraff chris said to me one day i just think you'd be really good at it and i was like yeah, so do I. No, I'm sure I was more. I'm sure I was not that arrogant at the time. Um, he may contradict that. Um, and I was like, yeah, cool. Like, all right, let's do it. So the first stuff, like, you know, so the first stuff that we we did together, that was probably my first casting that I had as a director ever, right? Mm. You know, but it's like with enough swing and enough confidence and enough belief in what you're doing, then yeah, let's let's do different stuff. And you've got to take those opportunities when it when it came up. You know, a good friend of mine, Tracy, who runs a business called Like Minded Individuals, which is a production um, company, was like, I've got a friend of mine. Um, she works for a label. There's a new Jack Savaretti video. It's all about dance. I think you'd really like to direct it. Do you fancy writing a treatment? So I was in Greece. I'm not always away when I uh, write treatments for things, but it does turn out that I tend not to be in the UK. I mean, your Instagram kind of tells me you are travelling quite a lot. Don't always believe Instagram, <laughs> let me tell you. So, uh, you know, the delightful commute to uh, Tottenham is not always on Instagram. Um, you know, but I was, I was in Greece and I was just writing this thing and it was really simple and it was like, you know, and it just, it just suited and that was an opportunity that came up that, you know, I didn't necessarily expect to come up, but you've got to take them. And, and, and the thing is, I think when you take those opportunities, you just got to go for it and you just got to put 100% into it. Be careful about, you know, not killing yourself. Like, it's important not to drive yourself into the ground. But I do think that you've got to take those opportunities. You've got to work hard at them and you've got to deliver them as best you can, you know. And I look back on that music video and the stuff you'd change, yeah, for sure. But it was like a one-day shoot, you know. And, you know, amazing choreographer, amazing DOP. You know, the crew was great and we delivered the best that we could do in the context of what we were delivering it and people seem to like it so have you felt like you've learnt on the job from that directing perspective and I'm from what you've been discussing about your background it sounds like all that creativity that's gone before has enabled you to have that confidence to go into something like directing yeah I think so I, I mean it's funny actually um two of my best friends said to me um at Christmas they said yeah well you know you've kind of got that uh, condition where you're just kind of full of like self-doubt or getting found out like and I was like no I don't and I was really like I was like this is that's not true at all like but in a way there's there's, there's maybe a mild truth to it which is like when I started working doing brands and stuff 
I didn't know what I was doing. I figured it out. When I started playing the guitar, I didn't know what I was doing. I kind of figured it out. And I think the same with kind of directing. And I think, you know, talk to people, learn from other people, read some stuff, watch some stuff, have a viewpoint. And I think that's really, really important, which is like, what's your personal viewpoint on this? Don't imitate, but you can, you know, take influence on stuff. But what's your twist? How do you want to do stuff differently? So the, the, you know different stuff that that we've done there's some stuff that might look slightly more like one director or slightly less like another but it's still my twist on it but all of it is like learning on the job right the 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 greatest sort of falsehood is that people actually think other people know what they're doing right the reality is no one knows what they're doing like ceos of companies don't know what they're doing they can build it up they can build a team around them they can understand the wider context of what's going on and they learn by doing stuff and they learn from what happens in the past and applying it to the future. But no one knows what they're doing. So all of this is about learning on the job. And I think particularly in the creative industry, you have to have that layer of confidence. You know, you have to have some self-belief. You know, there's been times I haven't wanted to, like, get out of bed or leave the house, you know. But you just make sure those days are less than the days when you're full of confidence and want to get out there and, you know, show the world, you know. Um and I think that's, you know, I think that's important. And it's important not to beat yourself up about stuff. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. It doesn't matter. Like, it will be old news tomorrow. Yeah, it's kind of balancing because we've talked a lot about imposter syndrome. So many people who come on, on That's the name. I couldn't yeah. remember the name of it. You see, it's so, it's so alien to me. I couldn't remember the name. Well, that's, it's good that we have someone who's like, I don't know, not really. But so many people we talk to, they're like imposter syndrome massively. And it's often people who are trained in what they're doing. They've done it for years and they still have imposter syndrome. And I don't know if it's something that most humans kind of touch on or if it's like a creative thing. But I think what you're talking about is like, it's a good point too, because if you are diving into something that you've never done before, it is also good to be like, this is new to me. I don't really know what I'm doing, but that's okay. Like, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to find me out and be like, get off the set. You are useless. It's just like, I don't really know in this uh, in this instance. I'm going to talk to somebody else. I'm going to ask advice. It's okay to not know exactly what you're doing at any point. And I think it kind of makes us work harder when we don't really know. Like I was mentioning to Laura before, uh, before you came that, you know, I had, I had such a great memory of at my costume fitting for the gift gaff ad you were there you okayed the outfit and then you asked if I had time to have a coffee with you across the street to to show me the storyboard and I was like this is unheard of they have the storyboard ready and a week before we're shooting (laughs) this is amazing but you were just getting out in front of it because it was important to you you had planned it out it was your story it was your idea and uh, you again treating actors like humans you know I'm going to tell you, the main actor in this ad, what's going on so that you know what you're doing. And I think that is the kind of stuff that comes with realising that you're doing something that's quite challenging. I mean, it wasn't the first time, but it was like you knew it was a big project. So you're like, I'm going to get out in front of this instead of someone who goes, I'm just going to show up on the day and you know the people around me usually save me anyway so it's fine yeah because I've experienced that too (laughs) yeah no I'm no I'm sure I mean I do like to (laughs) pre-prep that I would say that like I don't know if it's a good thing but I plan for all eventualities you know 
And I guess when you shoot something, the pre-production on it is insane. Like, and, and I'd argue, particularly storyboarding, is the worst bit. Like, if you're drawing them as well, like, my hand hurt. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like... And then you, and then I don't know. There's amends, or you need to change something, and then you have to redo the storyboards. And I was drawing them all by hand, and like it was just, it was just nuts. But because I was not worried, because I wanted to deliver the opportunity, I really wanted to get all the prep done. So at least I knew in my head what would be expected, so that when the trials came, like I don't know whatever ran late or you know i mean i was in a shoot once where they planned to put this drone up all day the drone went up hit a tree went down and there was no backup drone do you know what i mean it was like right morning dead you know when those things happen because they will happen how can we then get back on the bike and sort it out you know and i think i guess i talked you through that because I want you to be comfortable with what's going to happen rather than just throw you into it. Because if you've got some level of knowledge, then your performance is going to be better than if you don't. You know, I guess there's some circumstances where you do want to spring stuff on actors and, you know, have an element of surprise. But I think in that instance, particularly when you're shooting something like a music promo or or a commercial where you've got a really short space of time to deliver an awful lot, kind of like if everyone's in the boat and aware of the destination, that's going to help an awful lot. I think that's a really underestimated point in the industry I've definitely found in my experience when someone's given me the opportunity to reach my highest potential by giving me as much knowledge as I can have then everyone wins in that in that situation yeah I think so we've we've talked about that so many times where people are kind of just concerned with their own job and then they throw everyone else in the deep end especially the actors who just kind of come on set they're like we have not been here for the conversations that you've had and uh, they kind of forget that and then it's like and go like uh, go what <laughs> what are we doing but yeah I want to talk to you about the music video more because you know it's it's great that and another perfect example of something that comes up again and again that the people you've worked with just kind of think you'd be great for this I'm gonna get you in for it so you directed David Bradley in this in this music video which is so moving and beautiful I love it oh good thank you yeah no it is nuts to direct someone who was in Harry Potter and Game of Thrones like it is mental like um and he was a wonderful brilliant dynamic professional just I mean you sprightly you wouldn't know he was like in his 70s you know yeah, the, the the concept was basically um, David Bradley dancing to this track Severati and Mika track round this cafe. And it was sort of meant to be really simple and really honest. And, and, and the idea was, the creative idea behind it was we shouldn't necessarily judge everything by age so much. Like, you know, we tend to think that older people should be a certain way when you know why 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 should they and i think that play the concept of play um is really important and i think you know the more you know we the, the less rigid and the more less conservative we can be the better i think we get very stuck in like oh well children play and adults don't and adults you know have all the answers and children are a bit stupid because I don't have the answers and I just I don't necessarily believe that's true so I really wanted to bring the concept of play the track was really upbeat it's got a summer vibe to it so um worked with uh, Jamie who was a choreographer and Adam who's DOP and we got there the day before we ran through the choreography and he was amazing and we we kind of didn't know because I kept sort of saying well you know can he dance right and everyone's like yeah 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 I think so I think so I think so and it's like well 
cool but he's you know he's obviously an, old, an older gentleman and you know i don't know what his stamina and energy levels like but he smashed through the rehearsal and then smashed through the next day and you know we got him jumping over countertops and jumping on um benches and all the rest of it but you know as a kind of ebb and flow thing you know he had certain characteristics in the way that his body moved which were slightly different than maybe what i had in my head so we kind of had to go with it you know it had to be a little bit loose and a bit quirky and a bit odd at times and actually you know it, that played to his personality and, and, and persona and I think that was really important in, in delivering that against the track so yeah we rehearsed one day we shot it the next day it was like um, like a 10 to 10 shoot or something in this tiny little cafe in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the country and yeah we edited it um, dropped a bit of sound on it uh, did some titles and sort of pulled in some favours from different mates to come and help out and just sort of stuck it out there in the in the world. But it's it's a very different video for Jack Savaretti. It's quite a different video than probably you'd, you'd see um, for an artist like that. So I think it was really bold of him. And, you know, he had a relationship with David already, him and his wife. You know, the record label seemed to really like it. So, yeah, so, you know, I think it, it worked well. Retrospectively, do I, do I wish that, you know, the numbers on it were slightly higher? Yeah, probably. If I was being, you know, sort of reflective in regards to the success that I wanted it to have personally. Yeah, I think I probably did. But am I letting that, you know, eat me alive? No, you know, it is what it is. And I think, you know, people seem to get some joy and happiness out of it. And great you know I'm happy to have done that I think it's a, a it, as you were saying that element of play really comes through in it and and the fact that it's not too sparkly that that the grading on it that color on it is actually quite real and, and then it's lovely to watch um somebody that we know the face of so well from watching on screen kind of playing playing and moving around is really lovely have you was that a moment a day or have you had moments where as a director or working in in the creative industry where you've been nervous to work with someone of such a high caliber I've never really been nervous about working with anyone before I was very slightly nervous about working with him on the basis that everyone told me I should be slightly nervous about working with him <laughs> because he'd been on Game of Thrones and in so many amazing movies and and that did creep in a little bit but I basically said to myself like just don't just don't listen to it just ignore it so I probably was a little bit but he was so open and was like, right, okay, what do you want me to do? You know, so then he's giving you that permission and that gap to step into a role as a director to say, right, this is what we're going to do. Are you okay with it? Let's talk, let's walk through it. Um, so I try to, you know, a little bit like the casting, I guess, but in a weird sort of reverse way, you know, regardless of who you are, everyone's just a person trying to do a good job. So if we can treat everyone like people and try and get a bit more of an even keel, and I think that will help because the minute that we start to play to ego or title or, you know, because they're meant to be significant or whatever, it just gets weird. I just think it gets a bit odd. Yeah, because it's it's kind of uh, they're both the same, you know, working with unknown actors and kind of forgetting to tell them anything that's going on or working with someone who's really famous and just kind of going, oh, yeah, whatever you want. What What do you want? And then that's probably a bit much for them as well because they're actors. They're like, no, you need to direct me still. <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of stuff, but I've not done this. So this is still new to me. I, th I think it's a fine balance, actually. And I've, I've tried a few different, uh, different ways to do it, which is like, you know, the word directing is kind of 
dictatorial in its mm. definition. It's kind of like, right, well, you tell people that don't know what to do, what to do. But equally, you've got to have respect for the talent. So you kind of want them to input, but it's a bit of a balance because you still need the end result that you've got in your head or on the storyboard that people are expecting. But you also want people to be able to have their twist and input and, and passion on it. And it's about getting that balance right. And the you know, the real kicker is when you're against the clock and you know that money's, you know, burning because, you know, you know, there's lots of people standing around with lots of lights and lots of cameras and da 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 you know, and and I think that can add pressure and that can impact both on the performance but also how you direct. I think you just can't let it. I think you just have to block that all out as exhausting as that is for everyone you have to block that out because i think you can't compromise on the creativity the creativity has to deliver the goods and to that point therefore the original idea that goes into it has to be really good if the idea is a bit wonky by the time you get to the edit and by the time you do the post-production on it then it's going to start to really get wonky you know yeah. so i think that's really important as well something that we were we were talking about and we Liv and I keep saying we're going to stick a microphone in the kitchen when we're having our cup of tea before we actually get into the studio but you were talking about the the difficulty of being a director on something like this financially and creatively and how how directors and how that industry works I guess it's like so this is this is just my opinion so other people may have different opinions and that's mm. fine but I guess my opinion is that the, the, the problem is is that you know businesses have been squeezed right like the profits they're making the margins they're making are getting squeezed and that's felt all the way down the line and ultimately all creativity is there you know movies are made to sell tickets to the cinema and you know get it on netflix and you know it's great and wonderful and as you know dreamlike as you know creativity is you know unfortunately we don't live in you know french renaissance where we can swan about and do some nice paintings and you know do whatever else which is a shame really because i think i'd like that because those margins and, and revenue and profit whatever have, have, have kind of got squeezed as you get further down the funnel people are spending less on marketing and therefore people are spending less on production that production is then felt by the people that are actually making it but of course the ambition of the brands are bigger right because there's a hole to fill or they just are or you know stakeholders or whatever so you've got this like juxtaposition between people wanting to spend less money and less time importantly on making creative outputs but they want more for it and that's felt all the way down the funnel so you know you you end up directing loads of stuff for free you have to pull loads of favors of people to get you know the titles done or post-production and the end product is um great but it's more the production values are more than what was put into it and therefore the value set gets wonky because people think that they're going to get a ferrari for the same price as a micra and they're not but it looks like they are. So then the economics in the whole industry gets really weird because you've got a load of people working for free. And I don't think anyone should work for free. Even if it's like, a, will take a penny or a pound just as like a token, right? I think people should be paid for the jobs that they do. And that's not happening in lots of instances. Therefore, the economics just look a bit weird because the end product looks like it's worth x amount but actually it costs dramatically less than that and i think that that is a problem i don't know what the solution to that is you know and people don't have to work free you could say no i don't want to do it and, da, 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 da. and i've never had a issue at all doing the stuff that i've done for free 
um, because I've wanted to do it. But I think for people that are trying to get started in this industry is for people who are struggling or want to remain in the industry and don't want to end up having to diversify. And essentially that's what I've done. I've diversified into doing other stuff so I can, you know, pay the rent. It's important that people do get a fair wage for the effort that they're putting in. And and it's the creative industry seems to be one of the only industries where that actually is particularly a problem. And you know, and I think about playing in bands, I, I could probably count on one hand how many times you actually got paid for a show and then you get into the weird economics of pay to play and all that kind of exploitative nonsense and it's just about trying to make money but you're making money in the wrong places you're making money out of the people at the bottom instead of the middle and the top right i think that's a real issue yeah you have to be quite um you have to really have your principles if it's something that you are trying to build a career doing so the opportunities might be few and far between, especially the great ones, and you just want to grab them, you know. But then also, if it is what you want to do, you have to kind of at the same time put your foot down and be like, I really want to do this, but I have to get paid because otherwise I'm not going to get paid next time. And then why am I doing it? Why am I calling it a career? You know, and I find that with music to to now really try and and go yes, I would love to do this festival, but £100 is not going to cover paying my band and our travel, <laughs> um, which I'm sure that you can understand sort of thing. And to, to kind of say that in a way where, you know, you're understanding their financial stretches as well, but also just going, it's not possible. Like, just like these things are not possible for you. This is not possible for me because I'll be spending money every single time I'm doing it. And that's not how you build a career. So you have to say no to things, which is tough. I think it's interesting. I think we just don't in the UK, I just don't think we value creativity. Mm. And actually someone was saying to me that in France, they spend more time studying art than they do PE. And in the UK, they do PE something like 10 times more than art or something like that, mm. if they do art at all. And I just don't think we value creativity. We don't hold it in the same light and value set as business. And I think there's a wider, bigger capitalist conversation to have. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we, we don't. Um, but yet we still want to turn on the TV and go on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever and watch, you know, really entertaining things and be really judgmental about whether or not it's saying you're good, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and turn on the radio and listen to stuff. But it's it's weird. It's com- it's completely out of kilter. And, you know, I think it's great that they, they've dropped the tax on live music venues so that we can have more live music venues again. But ultimately, the system needs more deeper fundamental levels of changes and re-evaluation than just dropping the tax on music venues to make people be able to have a living as uh, a musician and of course in the UK at the moment you know you know we've obviously gone through significantly difficult economic times and it's hard for lots of people in lots of different jobs and that is a wider issue but I don't think we're valuing creativity so even if you start there you're almost on a hiding to nowhere because we just don't value it in the right way. It's a hard one as well because, I mean, coming at it from an actor's point of view, so often you hear about people or you see jobs that are no pay or very, very low pay and you feel like you, to be able to even get credits on your CV, which is what you need to be working to then get the jobs that are paid, you do end up working free. And I'm I'm very fortunate that I had a, a job on, on a film when I first left drama school and I'd done a couple of 
quite well well received fringe profit share productions where I'd earned little to no money so I'd had really good experiences met good people and then I was on set and another working actor who'd been we were both main cast roles but just for the day very very small roles he'd been in the industry for for years and years and was quite impressed that I'd come out of drama school and got like a, a little role in this thing and he was the one who gave me the advice to say right you've done a couple now stop working for free and it's something that now if I ever do see anything I have to really understand why I might be choosing that particular job to do as a favour or for very low money what else is it going to give me to to be able to then move on on and earn money in the industry because it's it's really difficult agree I think you've touched on something really interesting there which is a lot particularly in creativity but I would say much wider than that into into business if not life as a whole is it really comes down to relationships, right? And it comes down to how you treat each other because knowing one person that gives you a leg up here, then you might be able to give him a leg up there. And then, you know, slowly things start snowballing. So it comes off for a friend of yours because you worked on whatever production, then they might be able to help you a year down the line, you know? In essence, if you act like a wanker, people aren't going to help you, right? So don't be a wanker. And it's as simple as that. Like I got into, you know, directing stuff because I had a, good relationship and we got on and went to a couple of you know the pub and stuff with you know Matt from Riff Raff and you know I got to know different people along the way and you know friends that run sound studios or you know whatever else that you know if I need a favour I can pull it in and when I can you know spend some budget then I'll probably spend a budget with them because they do an amazing job and you know I know the product I'm going to get out but it comes down to relationships and I think building that network and building that relationship not in a callous <laughs> like callous I'm gonna just be really exploitative and be nice to this person because I think they're important but building like a real relationship treat people how you want to be treated and I think those relationships down the line even if it's just advice and learning you know I don't know all the answers I, I know very few but I might be able to talk to someone that might know them you know, or might be able to tell me, oh, I'm working on this thing, I don't know about this, or what about these lenses, or what do you think is a key question, right? Yeah. How do you want to shoot this? What do you want to do? What lenses do you want to use? What do you think? Get some viewpoints, you know, and then take those. So I do think, to your point, I think relationships are really, really important in being able to help you make the right decisions as you construct your career creatively if we take if we put the finance aside for a second if you could just choose how you know your career goes from here on out or in the next few years what would you most like to do what is like a dream project that you would like to work on i'd like to go back to 1988 and join guns and roses right <laughs> that's my i'd like to do that um i'd like to dance at sadler's wells although i don't think that's going to happen i guess ultimately I want to do stuff that I find fulfilling, creative, and I enjoy it more than I don't enjoy it. Like, I don't expect to enjoy everything all of the time. Open brackets, I actually do. Close brackets. But I am aware, apparently, apparently, that that is not possible. So, therefore, I just have to find things that I enjoy. So, you know, if it's building a brand, if it's doing advertising, if it's doing more directing, you know, I started thinking, oh, I probably should do some more music again. I'm kind of always flirting with the idea of writing. I'd love to be a writer, but I can't spell or read. So, that's an issue. Um, you know, and I mean, I literally cannot spell. So, I don't know i think i just have have to have the broad things of like trying to find something that i find fulfilling that's 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 creative you know i think that life is 
challenging and difficult and i think if you can make it rewarding or at least make your instagram look good then you know then you're you're halfway there you know you're halfway there well you have done that do you want to plug your instagram while we're at it because it's beautiful uh tommy rains t-o-m-i-r-a-i-n-s you can spell there you go yeah yeah it's, it's grammarly isn't it yes it is it's all the uh it's all the pre-rolls so yeah, I, yeah. but it, the thing is though i do actually use grammarly and i think it's very good just stop pre-rolling just me guys enough now like it really <laughs> like that and also i just moved into a new place and we're fixing it up and therefore i was looking at you know it's like fancy radiators that are really old school like the ones you used to have in like your school. There's some brand and they're just, I mean, it's so persistent. I thought about like emailing YouTube to just be like, guys, like enough is enough. Like I can't cope with Grammarly and radiators. Like what has my life become? It's like you're a dyslexic plumber. I mean, it's just, it's just a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And all I want to do is watch videos of Pina Bausch. That's all I want. And, pe- and people talking about guitars. Is it that much to ask? Is there has there ever been a moment? Because I know you you mentioned you've got a young family now, and has there ever been a moment where you thought, yeah, this this up and down of creative life doesn't suit anymore, and what am I doing? I guess I've always been lucky in the basis that I've kind of always within like doing marketing and brand stuff. I've kind of always had a bit of a safer bet, whether or not I've always been happy with that is another question. I think. It's less around, I don't know if I can continue to deal with and continue to cope with the kind of ups and downs and the hurdles of it all. For me, it's more around the regret of it all. So it's more around what if I'd done that or would it be different if I had chosen that decision or if I'd uh, had enough guts to press the button on this or if I'd had enough confidence to quit this or it's, it's, it's much more centered around that. And that's quite heavy, you know, mm. that's quite a heavy weight. And I guess how I've tried to understand that is it's easy to go like, oh, you should be grateful for what you have. And I am grateful, clearly not grateful enough, um, but I am, I am grateful, but it's difficult, you know, and I think you have to compartmentalize it and you have to let some boats drift off into the distance and just wave goodbye to them but it is it is hard to reflect on the things that could have been that haven't and I think for me that's the harder thing than looking forward I'm good at looking forward I can look forward and I can be like right I'm going to do x y and z and I'll plan this and I'll plan that and you know and that's cool it's about if I'd chosen a instead of b would things be better you know and I don't I don't know and that I think is is a difficult question to answer or thing to get over if you look back at your career and things that you've done do you remember a sort of highlight where you felt like oh this is great it wasn't exactly how I pictured it when I was younger but I'm really loving what I'm doing right now and I feel feel in the right place um I probably should say yes but I'm but (laughs) you don't have to say yes the podcast is about honesty yeah we want honesty probably should well I mean I'm sure there is and I mean, it's a bit like, as I said earlier, when someone said, oh, you must be really proud of the last 10 years. And I was like, uh, yeah, I probably should be. Yeah. But there's perceived, I can perceive why 
another person would feel that way whether or not I feel that way myself is something slightly different and I think yeah there's loads of stuff I've, I've loved doing I've loved directing stuff it's amazing that I launched a business that, you know with other people that's highly successful for 10 years you know I'm working on an amazing brand now that I love very much but it's difficult to you know so it's like um I'm gonna go and see Bluebeard which is a Pina Bausch piece which is never performed in the UK which is like my favorite piece it's like brutal it's about um a husband who brings his new wife to his castle it's based on an opera and then she goes around the castle and basically finds all his wives other wives in all of these rooms now that's the shit that's going to make you happy right do you know what i mean like creating this otherworldly emotional experience you know when you see a dance piece and i've seen pieces where you know you just cry watching it by the end of it because it's such an emotional roller coaster now I've, I've always held the opinion that i'd rather have people cry or walk out i don't want middle ground mediocre i don't want niceness i don't want people to be like yeah it's all right like i i, I don't want to be that you know personally and, and the stuff i work on the stuff i do i don't want to be that so i'm sure there are things that i can reflect on that i think yeah that was really good and that was really good but i guess my aspiration is one where I just want to construct and build and drive emotional responses in people. And I don't feel I've ever achieved that to the extent that I would feel completely fulfilled by. And when I'm crying watching Pina Bausch uh, next weekend, I will remember this conversation. <laughs> so, um, so yes, yeah, so I guess it's about, it's a balance because I'm really bad at looking backwards. You know, as I said, if I'm in a, you know, when you're in a pub and you see someone that you went to school with or university or something, and I will just leave that pub rather than have that awkward conversation. I just can't deal with like, oh, what you've been up to? Oh, this and that. How about you? Yeah, no, good. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, thank you. See you later. <laughs> you know, and and that's more my issue than the issue of the person in the pub. But I just, I, I just push forward, you know, mm. which is kind of exhausting at times, as I'm sure it is for everyone. But um, that that is my that is my focus. Although I am very aware that I do need to be more present, you know, and stop trying to just, okay, right, I've done that, right, move on, done that, move on, done that, move on. And I, and I always said when I started directing stuff, I was like, all I really want to do is direct a music video. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, that's all I really want to do. And I kind of did that and was like, right, where's the next one? And then I was like, no, hang on a minute, like, take a minute and just remember that you said to yourself, if, if you stopped here, you'd be all right with it. So, like, just remember that, you know, Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck with your three-month-old. Thank you very much, <laughs> Louis. Loving life. Yes, exactly. Do you get any sleep? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I could do with more. But, um, yeah, he, he, lo he loves the nighttime cry. I have uh, started making him watch. Well, he, he watches lots of football, which is great. Good. And I have taken him through sort of like, here's the top ten music videos that you need to watch. But um, that was on his second day when he was alive. So I don't think... I don't think he's he's getting a good education. I don't think he's taken some of the nuances in you through some of the narratives. You repeat that in a few years' time. Probably going to have to do it again. We'll definitely put some links to the music videos and to the GIFCAF ad so that everyone can check them out. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Tom Thank Rainsford. You. Thank you. Cheers. We 
hope you enjoyed this episode with Tom Rainsford. Next week, we are talking to Rebecca Walker, who is a very accomplished choreographer and director. She choreographed and directed my two music videos that we shot in one day for Detour and Whole Heart, which you may have seen if you know my music. But she has done so much more than that. I could list out all the amazing people she's worked with, but I suggest you just come back next Monday and listen to our episode with Rebecca Walker. You do not want to miss it. See you then. Maybe we sound a bit more... Would you like me to go more cockney? <laughs> yeah, just to give them that. They'll be like, give finally! <laughs>Hello, it's Laura here. We are in between our episodes of My Amazing Mess and while you're waiting for the next one to come out, we love to send you over to some other podcasts to check them out. This week, we want to send you over to have a listen to Stuff You Should Know. It's hosted by Chuck Bryan and Josh Clark and this is a great one for while you're making and having your breakfast. The two hosts educate themselves on really completely random facts and do each episode trying to teach each other about new topics. It's a really good one if you want to step outside of your own career and just learn about something completely new. It's really funny, really easygoing and a great one for one of those relaxing podcast sessions. You can find Stuff You Should Know on all podcast streaming sites. Head on over to them, have a listen and comment and let them know that we've sent you over.